Good evening and blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Gist for Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hi, this is Roy Paul. I am calling in to the Gist of Freedom as the special correspondent to give you all an election update post-midterms. I know that there are some people who are listening to the show who are pro-liberal and are very upset about what happened with uh, some of the Democratic losses that we're seeing. And then there are some people who are listening who are staunch conservatives, and they were probably happy about some of the uh, gains that happened nationally. But I think somewhere in the middle is the compromise where both sides uh, are probably at, where they're feeling someone in the middle country is headed into a checks and balances state. And what I mean by that is for those who were paying attention, and I think most of you were, you know that the Democrats regained the House of Representatives, the majority in the House of Representatives, for which they needed 218 total votes to control that chamber, 435 seats. They were able to pick up 30 seats, many of them in Republican-held districts. So these are districts that were once held by Republicans that flipped and now held, are held by Democrats. There are some promising um, results in that. There are some districts that now that have been flipped to the Democrats that are being held by African Americans. Uh, there was a fellow in Texas who won a Republican district who's an African American. Lauren Underwood in Illinois uh, is an African-American, and Lucy McBath um, in Georgia in a district that was once held by Karen Handel. If you remember, John Ossoff uh, had the uh, distinction of going against Karen Handel. He was a Democrat in a very popular nationwide race, and in that, uh, that race he ended up losing to Karen Handel despite millions and millions of dollars that were poured into that district. And many people said Karen Handel has a seat. It was a seat that was formerly held by Newt Gingrich. For many of you guys who are familiar with that guy, staunch Republican, former Speaker of the House. And they said, Democrats should write this seat off. You're not going to win. And Lucy McBath came in with a lot of money uh, and was able to flip the tide in the midterm election. So typically in midterm elections, uh, that is the two years after a president gets elected, a Senate president gets elected, you would normally see these flips in seats, Republican, Democrats going back and forth, depending on the favorability of the president at that time. So when President Obama was president, there were some Democrats who lost seats to Republicans in his midterm, and now in Trump's midterm, they had Democrats who gained seats on Republicans. Typically, midterm elections are seen as referendums on the sitting president at that time. Uh, and so many people said this was 
um, a referendum on President Donald Trump, despite the fact that, of course, voters were going uh, to the ballot to support local congressional candidates. They were basing their decision on who to vote for on whether or not they approved or disapproved of um, Donald Trump's presidency. So, you know, in the case of Lucy McBath and some of the others, Lauren Underwood, that I discussed, uh, these, in many cases, were seen as referendums on the president. Uh, Lucy is particular in that she was really an anti-gun rights activist. Her son was killed um, at the hand of gun violence, and she created Moms Against uh, Demand Justice Against Guns. And so um, there was a, a proper name for the organization that's not uh, in my brain at the moment. Um, but she was really heavily supported by anti-gun lobbyist groups, the Parkland uh, kids, they call them, um, from Parkland, Florida, who was involved in that great tragedy, supported her. Michael Bloomberg, uh, Pat, supported her. Uh, who He's been very outspoken against gun violence. So there's been a lot of money swayed in, in these recent midterm elections, and that's where we have it in the House. The Senate however, um, was gained a couple of seats on by Republicans. Uh, there are a couple of races that are outstanding. There's one uh, in Arizona that has not yet been called. Um, there is one in Florida um, that is still sort of on the tipping point of a potential recount, uh, and so people are waiting to officially call that race. But it is all but certain that the Republicans have maintained their majority in the United States Senate. And that's critical for a couple of reasons. Most notably, the Senate is where the judges, federal judges, are confirmed. The Senate is where the United States Supreme Court justices are confirmed. And right now, you just need a simple 51 majority vote to confirm them, which the Republicans have. So if you all remember the Brett Kavanaugh debate, um, there was a lot of discussion about um, getting the um, confirmation confirmed and whether or not the Republicans would have enough votes to do that. Uh, and so that was why that fight was so important. And many people suggest that the president, Donald Trump, will get an opportunity to name at least one more Supreme Court justice before his term is over. And that's not for him getting reelected. That's in his current term. Many people suspect that he is going to get um, uh, another uh, addition to the court. Now, there are a couple of races around the country that were uh, very disappointing for a number of people. Uh, you had uh, three races in particular uh, that Democrats were fighting nationally. And I say that because while these races were local, they were tested in the national media landscape um, because they gained a lot of traction and notoriety, not just because of who the candidates were, but because of the people that were supporting them like celebrities. Uh, the first one is Beto O'Rourke in the state of Texas. And I think it's important to note that in that particular race with Beto O'Rourke, um, I would say all of these races, uh, were very uh, messy. They, they were not clean swipe races. Uh, Ted Cruz, the incumbent senator in Texas, uh, was really seen as someone who was a firebrand of Donald Trump, very much a loyalist in his pocket. Um, and there was a, a lot of uh, people who were saying that the Democratic blue wave 
that we were seeing were were strong enough potentially to uh, get the three Democrats elected. Um, Beta O'Rourke was really, I think, uh, uh, I think most people can easily call him an energetic guy. He was a member of the United States House of Representatives, a congressman from El Paso, Texas, uh, and really was, in many cases, uh, a liberal uh, test for the Democrats in the state of Texas. Many people uh, in the past had run for statewide office in Texas uh, because it's a conservative state like Florida and Georgia. Many of the Democrats who had run had been more centrist candidates who were down the middle. They were Democrats, uh, but they were not liberal Democrats. They would not consider themselves on the far left of the party. And so this was a national test for um, whether or not the Democrats who run in red districts, southern districts, would prevail if they were further to the left, energizing their base, or whether or not they should kowtow to more centrist, middle-of-the-road Democrats who can appeal to some conservatives and independents. Bitter O'Rourke took very strong stances in support of people like Colin Kaepernick, um, talked about, and this is for the three states, Texas, uh, Florida, and Georgia, Medicare expansion, um, $15 minimum wage. Um, They were really on the progressive track uh, of the Democratic Party. So Bitter O'Rourke was one of those candidates in Texas. In all fairness, I think there was a uh, prevailing notion that Beto O'Rourke was going to lose the race. If you had watched from CNN to MSNBC to Fox News, there was this prevailing notion that he was polling lower than Ted Cruz uh, in the races, but people still thought the blue wave could bring him over the top. Um, There was Andrew Gillum in the state of Florida. Um, And I should say, before we start, um, I actually know Andrew Gillum personally. I've known him since 2009. Um, He had started an organization that supported elected officials, and I at one point was elected to a board of education and was a member of this national organization that supported progressive candidates running for office. So for full disclosure, I know Andrew Gillum, um, and I uh, supported his campaign uh, for the governorship. So that should be something that I note so that I can be fair. I still believe that I can be subjective in my commentary about the race, uh, but I wanted to put that out there. Um, If anyone sees anything publicly with my name attached to it, it was probably me. So Andrew Gillum ran for governor uh, at a time when a lot of Democratic Uh, mainstream party members said he should probably wait his turn. He was the mayor of Tallahassee, Florida, the capital city of Florida, uh, and he was, in many cases, presiding over a city that um, has had uh, a a fair share of crime over the years, as many inner cities, urban cities do. And so uh, he was a... um, a byproduct of an FBI investigation that uh, probed his administration, some key members of his administration, um, over uh, instances regarding um, contracts with the city. One of those individuals was an undercover FBI agent, and that really forecast and shadowed the entire um, race for him in terms of Republican scrutiny. Um, And I don't think he ever was able to recover from that. So he, despite that, pushed forward, got two major donors who helped bankroll his campaign, one of them, George Soros, who many 
guys know, is a, a huge Think Tank uh, supporter, philanthropist, billionaire, and was one of the targets of the bomb uh, that was sent to CNN and to President Obama and other high-ranking officials, Hillary Clinton, et cetera, um, over the past couple of weeks. And Tom Steyer, uh, who is the founder of an organization uh, to increase participation in the liberal agenda that a lot of people are throwing around in the country. So they gave him millions of dollars. Uh, and that is how he was able to go up against everyone else in the race who was a self-described millionaire. Andrew Gillum was the only non-millionaire in the race. Gwen Graham, in particular, former congresswoman, daughter of Bob Graham, former governor, former senator of Florida, was the party favorite. And everyone said, Andrew, you're out of your mind. You're not going to win. Gwen Graham is going to be the favorite candidate. She's better in the general election. You had a couple of other businessmen who had who robbed the cash, Phil, Philip Levine, uh, who was self-funding his own cane, for, former mayor um, of a local city. Um, and so he pressed forward with the backing of these two billionaires, uh, not having the ability to raise the same kind of money in terms of individual contribution and or individual donors, like uh, people like you and I. Uh, so he pushed forward and defied a lot of the pundits um, and the pollsters, even though he was consistently underpolled, came up on top. And a lot of people were shocked and said, wow, he was able to magically um, win the race in the primary. And that made people think that perhaps he was in a position uh, where he could um, win in the general because of all of the enthusiasm that people said he had behind him. Part of the reason they said he won the primary is because posters traditionally poll individuals who aren't represented in the polls. These are people who typically don't vote in midterm elections. They typically only vote in presidentials. They are, most cases, minority people of color, um, in order to be polled, you have to have a landline so that folks can call you. You're not allowed to poll people on their cell phones. And so people say, look, the polling only represents a certain factor of the population. They're not indicative of everyone who will come out and vote. And because he was able to drive up the numbers in minority African-American communities, they said, heck, if he can get them out, he can probably win the general election. Um, Fast forward to the general election, the midterm, and he ended up losing uh, to Ron DeSantis, former congressman, staunch supporter of President Donald Trump. And uh, many people would argue was polling below uh, Andrew Gillum for the majority of the race. Uh, that race was overshadowed by um, um, charges of racism. Uh, against Andrew Gillum, there was uh, a comment that Ron DeSantis made about Florida not monkeying it up by electing Andrew Gillum, and that started um, the racist drive behind the campaign. So there was this backdrop about racism the entire time of the election. There was a group who had put out a robocall uh, using the N-word, in other words, to support the racist agenda that many people said was in play in that race. Donald Trump, the president, weighed in on the race and at one point called Andrew Gillum a thief without having proof of calling him a thief, admitting uh, that 
Uh, he was stirring up his base in Florida, talking about the FBI investigation that did not indict Andrew Gillum to this day and the city of Tallahassee's crime rate, um, and saying all of that should disqualify Andrew Gillum for being governor. But in the end, uh, Ron DeSantis ended up winning that race. It was certified by the Associated Press. The Florida Senate race between Rick Scott and Bill Nelson is still too close to call. There seems to be some recount, maybe some potential legal challenges in that race. But the governor, uh, current governor, Rick Scott, who ran for the Senate against Bill Nelson, who's been serving for decades in Florida, seems to be above uh, Bill Nelson as of the latest tally of votes. Fast forward over to Georgia. Stacey Abrams, former speaker of the Georgia Assembly, uh, ran against Brian Kemp for governor, who is the current Secretary of State as of a day or two ago when he resigned, declaring himself the winner of the governor's race in Georgia. Another progressive uh, firebrand that people across the country were excited about uh, had she won the governor's race. She would have been the first black governor in the country. Had Andrew won his race, he would have been the first black governor of Florida, future potential presidential candidate. And so there was a lot of people around the country who was pushing their eggs in these two baskets, three baskets, four baskets, if you include Ben Jealous in the state of Maryland, who lost to a very popular Republican governor, Larry Hogan, former president of the NAACP, Ben Jealous. But I think all along the polling showed him double digits behind Larry Hogan, and many people really didn't give him a shot. So back to Stacey Abrams. That race is still ongoing. Uh, These two individuals have not um, decided on an apparent winner, even though Brian Kemp declared himself the winner. Stacey Abrams isn't giving up. She is in the race. She's putting legal challenge against legal challenge. She's claiming acts of voter suppression. And for many of the viewers who may not be clear on, on what the voter suppression charge is, I think it's different from the olden days where we had individuals, voters show up to polls and they were told, you're not allowed to vote, right? Just blatant, you're not allowed to vote. You're not an American citizen. You're not allowed to vote. Um, I think fast forward to 2018, what we find in many instances, and it has led up to this day and time, is a lot of individuals, many of them minority, poor, from rural areas uh, throughout the country, show up to polls and say their name is not in the book. They've been purged from the voting rolls. They have to show identification. Many of them may not have proper identification, or at least the kind of identification that the officials at the voting booth are requiring. Many of them are waiting in extremely long lines to the point where they say, the heck with this, I'm not going to spend three, four hours on this line voting. I've got to go to work. I've got to do this, do that. Um, And so stations with the same number of people who were expected to show up had more polling uh, ballots. So you can put more machines quicker, spread the lines out. Many of the poor precincts had less machines. Uh, And so the lines were much longer. You could sit down and have lunch, play tic-tac-toe and bingo before you go vote because it would take that long after the line then whittled down. Many of the machines broke. There were reports of machines that were breaking to the point where people couldn't vote for hours because they had to wait for new machines to arrive. People weren't allowed to vote because they didn't meet X criteria. They would fill out provisional ballots. Many of provisional ballots, people argue, don't count 
on election day. They just fill them out for the sake of having someone fill them out. Um, and so there are a long line of tactics in the Georgia race in particular, Brian Kemp had been cited for purging 53,000 people from the voting rolls over an exact match law, which the Georgia uh, legislature passed saying, in effect, that if you are a voter and you did not have an exact match from your identification and your voter registration card, i.e., your name was misspelled, there, your address is 524 Whitaker Avenue, but on your registration card it says 52 Whitaker Avenue. If there's any discrepancy from your registration card and your polling um, and your ID, you were not allowed to vote. You would have to show proper identification before you were allowed to vote. And Brian Kemp held 53,000 of those registration in advance um, because of that law. Many of the voters not knowing that they were on that list and that they could appeal and or show their vote. They were just assumed that they could not vote without knowing the law and the implications of that. So those are the three races in an upshot. Moving forward, the uh, country will be what it is with the House of Representatives and the Senate at the top. And hopefully people are suggesting that there's some checks and balances on the president, which will hopefully bring us back together, at least politically, even though personally we're still somewhat divided. There's heartbreak and there's victories that people celebrate. But I would say this, not picking one side or the other, and that's my God-honest truth, there are wins and losses in every election. We experienced that in 2016 when Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump. We experienced that. Um, prior to Hillary Clinton, we will experience it long after Hillary Clinton 2018, 2019, and looking to 2020. Someone will lose in the 2020 race for president, and someone will win. We will get to a point where there is uh, a Democratic nominee and Donald Trump, because he's clearly running for the election and has stated that very forcefully. And we have to decide as a country who are we going to vote for, where is that going to come down, but ultimately, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. There's nothing that we can do about that because two people can't win one race. There's only one seat uh, and two people can't win it. Uh, so there's going to be a, a lot of um, you know, happy people and sad people depending on those elections. Uh, there are some people pushing for the impeachment of Donald Trump. Uh, there are Democrats and key committees who will be uh, chairman of those committees, uh, Jerry Nadler from New York, um, Adam Schiff from California, Maxine Waters from California, all Democrat, and there are people who are calling for impeachment. Maxine Waters will have the power in Congress to subpoena Donald Trump's tax returns if he gives them. I don't know. That might be a big legal battle that shows up uh, in, in Congress, uh, maybe headed to the Supreme Court, which has a conservative bet. Um, and so if there are grounds that they can muster up for impeachment, those talks will probably happen. Um, whether or not they succeed is a different story, but I'm sure they'll be talking about it. Um, so uh, there is um, a lot of back and forth happening, um, discussions leading up to January when all of this becomes official, uh, and we will see. But we at the Gifts to Freedom will keep you posted on all of those things when they become available. Thank you for joining us for this brief uh, update on the midterm elections, uh, and we'll keep you posted uh, when more information becomes available. Good night.